the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. Welcome back in to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Coming to you from sunny Los Angeles, California, where the Lions of Liberty studios are located. And guys, I got to start off the show with a little bit of a rant. <laughs> I know that's a little crazy coming from me. I, I never rant ever on this little medium of mine here, but I just got to go off and get this out there before I speak to my guest today. Because, you know, we don't want my guests to come into the Lions of Liberty studios here and just be bombarded with my insanity. So, you know, I'm going to do that to you. I'm going to bombard you guys just a little bit first before we get into our interview. Because, you know, yesterday something really crappy happened to me and it, it sucks, but ultimately it's really really mostly my fault, and that's just the worst thing, because you see, yesterday I was at work all day, it was a crazy day, and I came home and I had to stop at the store on the way home from work to pick up a couple things, and with me I carry a little bag with me, a satchel, if you will, I don't know if, if we still use that term anymore, does anybody still say satchel, John? John, you can edit it out, edit it out, if nobody uses that word anymore, just take this whole part out. Satchel, there, someone said it, continue. So I've got my satchel. I don't keep much in it, just usually like a book or now I my iPad mini. It's become my favorite device. You know, my girlfriend got it for me a few months ago and it's I use it for absolutely everything. I watch videos on there. I listen to podcasts. I read all my books. It's, it's become my new books. You know, I've got the Kindle app. I've got six or seven books at a time there that I'm going through. So it's really become kind of a part of me. It goes everywhere I go. And yet this thing that is so important to me, I just kind of cavalierly toss that satchel, you know, on the, the seat of my car and went into the store, not really thinking twice. Now, guys, I have kind of an old school car. I, I've had my car for about a decade, and yes, the technology for clicking your little button and opening and locking your doors was there then, but hey, I'm a cheap guy. I could I saved three grand by getting a car with manual locks, and so, so whatever. So I have manual locks. I have to physically open, unlock my door. Not a problem, not a big deal. And yet, it does inspire a little bit of laziness sometimes when I'm in a rush. I was really eager to get home from work. I just ran to the store. Hey, I'm going to be in there five minutes. What's the big deal? I don't even think twice about it. You know, sure enough, looking back, I didn't, I didn't take the time to lock my passenger door. So I'm, you know, later on at night, I'm, I'm home and I realize, oh, where's, where's my satchel, if you will? Where's my satchel? With my iPad, my iPad mini in it. And I, you know, I, I go to look for it and I realize because I had all these groceries that I got at the store, I didn't carry that satchel in with me. Go back out to the car. It's not there. It's not there. It's gone. Now, you know, I, I retraced my steps. I looked everywhere I could possibly look. I called work and just to double check. But I know. I know for a fact I had that satchel with me. And I know for a fact it was on the passenger seat of my car, my unlocked car. So the only conclusion that I can reach at this point is that someone was walking by. You know, it's late at night. I'm in a big city here in Los Angeles. I know I shouldn't go leaving things unlocked. But I have to assume someone saw the satchel. You know, <laughs> the satchel. It's about time you stop saying bag. Said, hey, I need a satchel. Grabbed it, ran off with it, and now they've got an iPad mini. I mean, it's locked. I don't know if they can get into it, but it is nowhere to be found. I even did my little turn on, find my iPhone, find my iPad app. And it's sure enough, it's not connected to the internet, which means it's not in my house or even in the vicinity of my house because it would be automatically connected to the Wi-Fi. So, you know, it is a fact at this point I have to accept the fact that my iPad mini in my satchel... You mean your bag? ...was stolen. 
And that sucks because, you know, I don't, I don't steal things from people. I, I don't think it's right to steal. That's kind of part of my moral philosophy. That's what we're talking about here. I don't think it's right to steal whether you're a regular citizen or whether you have a badge on or whether you say you're from the government. It's simply wrong to take the property of another. Unless it's cupcakes. So part of me maybe just assumes that somebody else will think that way too. But, we, you know, we know from the structure of our society and a lot of the problems we see, not everybody does see things that way. Some people think it is okay to take from others. In this case, I put the blame on myself because I, I should have taken preventative measures that I could easily take to prevent the theft of my items. Now, I'm not going to go saying we need to pass new laws to, to stop this problem of people stealing satchels from unlocked cars. No, it's a very simple solution. I lock my car and then people can't get in or they have to do a little more to get into the car where, you know, five minutes in the store wouldn't get something stolen. Now, I don't really know what the point is here. The point is a bag is a satchel. The point is I need to get this off my chest, but the fact is not everybody sees things in the same way as we do. We need to remain vigilant at all times. We can't get necessarily too comfortable when it comes to protecting our property, protecting our bodies. We need to always be prepared. We need to remain vigilant. And my guest today does know a thing or two about being vigilant. He has built an entire organization around the concept of being vigilant and keeping watch over some people in our society that often abuse others. Now, there's abuse everywhere. There's abuse in the private sector. There's abuse in the public sector. The difference is in one sector, the sector of law enforcement, the scales tend to be unbalanced a little bit because it's a lot easier for law enforcement to get away with abuse. A lot of people put law enforcement on a different pedestal. You know, we saw out here in California with the Kelly Thomas case. A few months ago, Kelly Thomas was brutally beaten. He's a mentally charged man, brutally beaten and murdered by two police in Fullerton, California, and they got off. And it's very clear from the video that this was a violent, unprovoked assault, an intentional murder, and yet they got off. Now, why is that? You know, I'm one theory <laughs> that was going around is that, you know, people simply look at police in a different manner. They don't see them as the same as regular individuals because of that badge. And that's a problem. You know, individual rights should apply to all individuals, not just individuals in certain professions or individuals that wear a certain badge or that sort of thing. Now, one reason that the Kelly Thomas case got so much attention is because of the video that existed of the beating. Now, it's very important if we're going to shine a light on certain abuses that we have evidence to show that, hey, this is happening. And thanks to new technology, it's easy for anyone to film abuse on the street if they see an officer tackling someone. There's another video a few months ago when I saw a kid out here in L.A. that he was skateboarding, I guess maybe on the wrong side of the road, but officers asked him to stop, and before long, they had just jumped the kid and started beating him up for skateboarding. Maybe on the wrong side of the street. I don't know. It doesn't seem like the punishment meets the crime there, though, even if he was, in fact, skateboarding on the wrong side of the street. But again, we have all this technology. I saw a video of it on the internet. Word got out. Complaints came into the police department. And my guest today has created an organization specifically aimed at people who are identifying this abuse, recording this abuse, getting out there so that we can see it. He is a founding member of CopBlock.org, a project aimed at a goal of police accountability. He's also an active member of the Free State Project in New Hampshire, an effort to recruit 20,000 liberty-loving people to move to that state. Adamo Freeman, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate you taking the time. 
Well, I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on to my show. And before we get too into the specific project you're currently involved with, I'm wondering, how did you first get involved in the liberty movement, in libertarian ideas overall? Was it something that started when you were younger, you know, before your involvement with Coplock and the Free State Project? Or was there a specific moment when you started thinking outside of this tired left-right paradigm that has been shoved down our throats from childhood? Well, I think I've always been one as an individual who's questioned authority. At least that's what my parents would say, and, you know, school teachers growing up and stuff like that, I didn't really conform easily like like some of my peers. But uh, I guess the biggest aspect, though, is that I'm a victim of the war on drugs, and so I was directly affected or, or touched by government in a very personal way, and therefore, you know, that, that experience left me asking a lot of questions like, whoa, why did this happen to me, and, you know, how can I to do better because I bought it hook, line, and sinker that I was a bad guy who was selling marijuana to the kids and that I should, you know, pay my debt to society. And like, you know, I went to jail and then I had probation. And as I went through all these things and one of my terms of my sentence was to do a hundred hours of speaking to children about like how drugs would have ruined my life. But like, as I went through all this stuff, selling marijuana particularly ruined my life. I didn't believe what I was telling these kids. And I even at one point said, I can't do it anymore because I don't believe it. If anything, this has ruined it. I went from being a person who had a job and money and the ability to like provide and do things to like having that all taken from me. And in fact, more jobs, you know, I realized that, you know, felons have not just voting and guns means of protection is taken away from them, but the ability to get, even a trash pickup where I was living was done and paid for by the government. And so you can't have any government funded job if you're a felon. And so it was quite ridiculous. And so that's primarily how I started to ask these questions. And as I asked these questions, the only answers I could find, and and this is what I call coming to my logical conclusions were that of like, Hey, you know, self-ownership property rights. And, and, you know, I, I came to realize that in the end, you know, government is this institution, this vehicle that is, only meant to do one thing, and that's grow and get bigger. I mean, if you look at history, there's never been a government that didn't pop. You know, there's never been one that's here that's been forever. You know, they do what they're supposed to do, and, you know, at the moment they're created, they're the most free they'll ever be, and then the moment they pop is the time where it normally starts over. But at this point, I think we're at a point where the government isn't a little baby. It's a big, nasty beast. It sure is, and that nasty beast knows no mercy against people that it doesn't like. And some of those people happen to be people that have use or sell marijuana. And it's really interesting that you mentioned there that you kind of bought into it when you were first arrested. You bought into the idea oh, yeah. that you were the bad guy, even while doing that. So that's really interesting to me. Like, thank you, government. Sorry to interrupt, but government yeah, schooling. Yeah. I'm the, I'm 31 years old, which means I am the class of 2000 and i don't know anyone if any of your listeners out there are also in that class they yeah, remember I'm right around that area myself yeah the data program started then they told us we're going to be the first drug-free class of 2000 we all you know i remember being in fifth or sixth grade signing these contracts with a cop in the room like you'll never use drugs you'll be the first class to graduate drug-free you know and it was all that propaganda so like i you know i got arrested i was almost 20 years old and so i had you know just gotten out of all that conditioning. And so I bought it, you know, I was like, man, I got caught, you know, like I'm a bad guy. Let me, you know, pay my debt to society that, you know, justice will prevail and da, 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 da. But I learned real quick that that's not the case. 
Yeah, I also think it's interesting that you seem to come to this revelation as you began talking about it, you know, as you began going around to kids and telling them, you know, what a bad guy you used to be when you were doing the drugs and or when you had, you know, were dealing with marijuana. And I think what it really is, you're telling people that this drug ruined my life. But if when you start to think about it, marijuana didn't ruin your life. It was the government and they're infringing on your right to hold a certain plant or own, exchange a certain plant with people. That's what ruined your life. You know, that's what got you that felony or what have you. It's not the drug itself. Yeah. Nobody that I had, none of my clients or customers that I did those illegal transactions to or those horrible things with, never felt the way that I felt after my experience with the service the government provides. You know, like, I didn't sell anybody a plant and have the equivalent feeling of doing three months in jail. You know, like, that didn't happen to people. Uh, I mean, for anybody who's been to jail, you know, just imagine being, like, locked in your basement for whatever long your sentence is, and that's a pretty good assessment. So. So is that how long you were in jail for then, that three months, for that that charge? Well, that was, yeah, for my first uh, conviction in whatever year that was, like 2001. Uh-huh. And so 2000, late, uh, late 2001, by the time I was convicted, it was almost 2003. And so that time, and then I, when I got out of jail, I, you know, I believed it still that like, hey, I'm a bad guy, so I was going on my probation. I didn't drink, I didn't smoke, I didn't do anything. You know, I was working, but I would get pulled over for driving without a license because I had to get to work though, but I didn't have a license. And I remember going through that with the cops. I'm like, you know, that, that was starting. I'm like, how do you expect me to pay $100 a month to be on probation, plus I was fined. The government took $30,000 from me, and then they decided to fine me another $10,000. So I'm like, I was on a payment plan for that. I'm like, how am I supposed to pay for this stuff? You know, if you don't let me drive to work. And so that was the first, like, ding, ding, like something's up. And then, you know, talking to the kids and trying to get these other jobs. I tried to get a real estate license during the housing boom. And they were like, hey, a felon with a real estate license. And some hotshot reporter did a report on it, and so I lost my real estate license. Uh-huh. Not for anything I did in the business, but for something they knew about when I applied for my license to begin with. Because I obviously had to tell them that I was a felon, and they, the state of Wisconsin had no problem taking my $450 filing fee, you know, and then revoking it in less than a year. So, like, and I'm, I'm going to guess well, you didn't get that fee back. <laughs> no, that's right. You know, well, they said I got a service. I tried, but they're like, well, you got your license. We said once you get it, we can revoke it whenever we want. And so it's like, geez, man, what can you do? When when is this debt paid? You know, like they tell you in school that, you know, we have this justice system so that people can make right and return to society and da-da-da-da-da and, you know, become a better person. But then you, like, forget to tell them all the things you stopped them from doing. You know, like, okay, let's just, uh, let's just for argument's sake, what I did was wrong. Well, I could have made money selling houses. I even tried to get a liquor, like you had to get a liquor permit to sell liquor at like a liquor store in Wisconsin. And so when I lost my $5,000 a week job selling marijuana, I tried to get a job for eight twenty-five an hour at a liquor store and I couldn't get it because you, I couldn't get approved by the local town to have approval to, you know, sell liquor because I had a felony selling marijuana that is just a great irony to me because i mean you know you're in jail for selling marijuana and then you can't even go get a job selling liquor which i I believe there is controlled by the state because because you sold this other thing and yet you're you can't get the job selling liquor and alcohol which by any remotely reasonable uh, you know assessment or statistical measure is far 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 more deadly than than marijuana could ever be yeah, and I, I, I even hit the trifecta. So 
so I, when I got my real estate license, I was taking those classes. I met a guy there who worked in the pharmaceutical industry. And so he set me up with an interview. He's like, hey, man, you can sell drugs. Legal drugs, you can sell legal drugs. And so like, I was totally, like, I didn't go to college and stuff. So I was totally outmatched for this interview and it was getting a little awkward. So I've never been in such a setting with the guy's like, seriously, why do you think you do this? And so I threw that card out there. I'm like, listen, man, I used to sell, you know, hundreds of pounds of weed, you know? So like, how can't I sell hundreds of thousands of pills that like people already want to buy and can? And, you know, I obviously didn't get that job, but uh, <laughs> they wouldn't take you either. But you would figure that that's like relating experience, you know, like, yeah, I mean, the, the only out, thing but, that separates it is the stigma. I mean, uh, you do have tons of experience in getting people what they want, something that relieves their pain or what have you. Sure, well, we're providing a service. Obviously, I was, like, there's similar, you know, uh, plants that, you know, arguably has medical purposes or these pills that arguably have medical purposes. So, like, I obviously could prove that I sold that product. But you, to me, it's like that's one of the examples of what I call slave world. And what slave world is is, you know, what exists because of the government's involvement in on this planet. And so there's like, you know, the utopic free, whatever society you can envision in your mind or without government. But then there's like slave world, which is essentially reality. And uh, that's just one of the aspects, you know, and in slave world, a lot of things are backwards. I had uh, John Whitehead of the Rutherford Institute on this show a couple months ago, and he has a term called the electronic concentration camp. And now essentially, that describes really the whole spying apparatus, but part of that is once you're in the system, so to speak, once you have a felony, you are kind of a slave. You, there are so many things you'll just never, ever be able to do because of that one felony, and that felony can be, for like in your case, a peaceful act, peacefully exchanging a plant with other people. Now, I, I want to move on a little bit to cop block. What actually specifically first inspired you to start cop block? Was it experiences getting busted for drugs, or was there another experience of abuse that you witnessed? How did that all get started? Well, I mean, they all relate to one another. And so obviously my experiences as a victim of the war on drugs did, you know, take apart. But after that, you know, I'm starting to question all these things and I'm starting to feel that either I'm crazy or everybody else is doing things backwards. And so in 2009, you know, I, I, me and a buddy in Wisconsin were like, hey, man, let's get out of here. Let's go see if everyone else thinks this stuff. And that person backed out at the last minute. And that was right around when, if, if any of the listeners remember, the Mayak report in uh, St. Louis for a, a campaign for liberty, Ron Paul convention. And uh, they were calling all those people domestic terrorists. And so I went down there in, in a support. And uh, at that point I had heard about a, two guys who were traveling the country in an RV doing a project called Motorhome diaries from somebody at that convention. And so when I came back home, I, I looked up their website, motorhomediaries.com. I was checking it out. And I was like, Oh wow, they're coming to Chicago in like a week. And so I emailed them and said they should come up to Milwaukee near where I lived and hang out. Well, they said they couldn't, that they were going to get to L.A. in X amount of days. And I said, oh, that's too bad. I was hoping I could maybe talk you into taking me with you. And so they're like, hey, you can get to Chicago, you know, by Sunday, you can come with us for a month. And so a month turned into seven months, and those two people turned out to be Pete Ayer and Jason Talley, who we did Motorhome Diaries together. And after that project ended, I kind of, like, got a taste for, like, the social networking and the people all across the country that are doing things and like the power of the internet and then able to like, you know, take an idea and, and, you know, spread it to so many people. And so after motorhome diaries ended, I was sitting back home for a little while in Wisconsin thinking, what should I do? And I decided to create copflock.org, which was at first just a place where I was going to share my story. And I said, you know, there's no, there's always a police department or a, 
a district attorney's office or a judge's office that's willing to like bring these charges against you, but there's nobody to help a victim. And so I wanted to tell my story as a victim and be a guy who like made phone calls or like did some reporting or asked the questions like, you know, normally so reporters like, what's going on? Well, there's an internal investigation. And the guy's like, okay. Now I want to be like, what do you mean there's an internal investigation? What does that mean? You know, there was a group called Top Watch that was out there, which I fully support and stuff, but they really advocate that you don't like ask questions and get involved and they have a little bit of a hierarchy. And so I wanted to create something that was, you know, neutralized and didn't have this like one eye control over it. And so talking with Pete Ayer, you know, a guy who I did the projects with Motorhome Diaries, you know, we came up with an idea of like having a decentralized organization, like a one stop shop for uh, police accountability and so it could be an umbrella or a banner that everyone can use you know if you got abused by the police today and you wanted to share that story you probably create a website a facebook page and do all these things and not to say that some cases aren't successful but it'd be a lot easier if some of that was already there and that there's already people coming to this page and they could they already can determine whether or not they you know they've seen it from experience or other things and they could support you they could do call foot they might donate to your legal defense and do a number of things and so the decentralized nature, I think, of coplot.org was the real difference and something I'm most proud of is that it's allowed it to grow to over 120 chapters throughout the world. Uh, a number of, there's a podcast, there's like a newsletter, all these things get done by random different people who address a need they see in the areas as well as an outlet for people to share their own stories. There's a submit tab where a lot of stories come through, video contests, gear, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I guess it sounds like the goal, your overall goal of Cop Block is to sort of be the victim's advocate. It's kind of a meeting place for everybody to come together and say, you know, this is my story, this is this story. Not only that, but now these are some ways we can all help each other. Is that is that kind of the gist of it? Well, I think the overall goal is of Cop Block is exactly what its motto is, is that or uh, tagline, and that's badges don't grant extra rights. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're a diversified group of individuals who just believe that. And, you know, what people want to do is up to their own choice. But here's a hub for it to be. It's a one-stop shop. And if, you know, like coplock.org, uh, you know, people in Ohio are like, well, we got some other things going on that's a little different. So, boom, Ohio Coplock starts. And, you know, we, we network and share with one another. We cross-post each other's stuff because we all believe that the conversation needs to be had. And we're trying to have it under one banner so that there's, like, no loss in translation, you know, aspects. How do you respond to people who would say that you guys are just kind of cop haters? You know, like, the, I mean, even the name cop block almost implies, you know, we're against cops. We want to block all cops, whereas you're really just trying to shine lights on abuse from those cops. So how would you respond to that kind of criticism? Well, to be honest, uh, the name cop block, I don't know uh, like what language I can or can't use on here. But there used to be with your buddies, and if you see a girl, you know, don't oh. block me, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And so to me... It has nothing to do with cops, hating cops, leveraging cops, filming cops. It was just branding. Gotcha. Uh, that's all it was. Play so on what's words. What's people's mind? A play on words. Exactly. And so it's easy to remember. Uh, there was a logo that was very popular back there where uh, the cop lock logo was the like, cop lock face and then a gun. And I just replaced the gun with a camera. And so it wasn't, you know, anything that's like hidden message, subtle message to whatever. To me, like I learned uh, through the power of the internet is like, you know, easy URL, short name, something that sticks in people's heads, bang, 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 you know, motorhomediaries.com with a mouthful. Right. Uh, we ended up shorting that MHD, and so to me, I just learned, you know, shorter, better, da-da-da-da-da, and all these things kind of fit together. I think I was at a bar one night, 
Well, I first thought of it and I laughed and I went home and bought the domain and did whatever. But uh, there was really no whatever. To answer the question, though, are, you know, are there cop haters at cop block, like commenters, bloggers, or uh, some folks who make gravity or something? Probably. I mean, I guess I would def- define, I think all of them could define that to their specific meaning or to a specific individual. So they wouldn't actually be a cop hater. They would be an individual that they have an issue with. And I think there isn't anybody in the world who doesn't have that scenario going on. But, uh, you know, we have a welcome Leo's page. We try to tell folks that, like, hey, you know, at least for me personally, I don't hate cops. I actually, like, love all people, and I want everyone to have a, a, a the best, you know, most peaceful coexistence possible. But, you know, if it looks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, well, it's a duck. And I believe a lot of the things the police do are the exact opposite of what they claim. They do not protect and serve. They are not here for any form of protection. Uh, in fact, they harm more people than they ever help. And so sometimes the fact becomes help. I think you make a very important point when you say that badges don't grant extra rights. And this is what I try to focus on is individual rights. And when, and when I kind of framing a conversation and, you know, it's not necessarily the existence of, say, you know, a, a police service. I think we would all agree that theoretically there is a need for maybe a legitimate crime is committed. Say someone does break into your house, there might be a legitimate need for police to theoretically track down that person or what have you. Unfortunately, that's not usually what they do. Usually they seem to spend more time pulling people over, arresting people for marijuana and that kind of thing. But by virtue of someone being a cop, they're not necessarily a bad person. It's when a specific cop does things that do violate your rights is when he really have problems. And unfortunately, as, as we see on Cop Block, incidences of this are happening every day. I'm wondering, are there any kind of specific instances right now in the last few weeks that have come up that particularly stand out to you? Any stories that you've seen that are worth mentioning? I mean, there aren't any off the top of my head. I mean, I, I no longer edit at Cop Block. That was a task that I did for many years. And uh, I've almost taken a step back. I am probably just like, other than my co-founding title, uh, any other person who can utilize the website, uh, sure, I got access to the back end and stuff, but uh, I blog when I have stories coming up. I got my wiretapping case that's going on and stuff, and so uh, I come in and out. I help with some behind-the-scenes aspects and plan some logistics or help out a startup chapter. Anyone who reaches out to me can post some Facebook messages, but, uh, you know, as far as stories, I mean, org right there on the front page, uh, there's been quite a few in the past, you know, week. So just check it out. Cool. I want to pick your brain a little bit just on where does this all come from, this police abuse? I mean, who exactly is to blame? Obviously, if a police officer physically assaults someone, they should be held to the same standard as you or I. If I go outside and hit someone on the street, I'm definitely going to get arrested and go to jail. Whereas if if I'm walking outside and a police officer attacks me, there might be, as you mentioned earlier, some kind of internal investigation or what have you. But he's not going to be held to the same standard as I am. But who do you think is to blame ultimately for this? Obviously, is it just the police for enforcing a lot of laws? Let's put abuse aside for a second and just talk about, like with you, how you're arrested for marijuana. Do we blame the officer for enforcing the marijuana law? Or do you blame the politicians that create those laws? Or do you think the blame lies, you know, maybe more so in a lot of individuals in society, a majority of which support those politicians, and, and ultimately, even if they say they might not agree with them, they support the same politicians that make these laws. So, I mean, how do you see that? Do you do you where do you see well, the blame? I guess divided up, if you will. I believe it was Frederick Bastia that said, "My problem isn't with the tax law, but the tax man who enforces it." And so, you know, in translation, or just in my opinion, that means 
folks who write things on paper don't bother me. You know, anyone can write a book. Anybody can put that whatever they want on the paper, and all their friends can sign it. This guy who actually comes to my door to enforce it, that it's creating the act of aggression. You're only responsible for your actions. And so isn't an action to write on paper? Of course. Uh, but is it, you know, if you believe that that paper gives you the right to come into my house, you know, and take uh, an item of mine or myself, well, you know, my problem isn't with the person who wrote the paper, it's with the person trying to kick in my door. You know, they can be, they can be screaming all they want, but they have the right that this paper says I can do this. But at the end of the day, that's not it. And so who's to blame? <laughs> like, loaded question. I mean, I, I believe that cop lock has been effective and more so than any other project I've been involved in because it's where the rubber meets the road. To me, the problem is a centralized government. Uh, centralized governments who, you know, claim they can run your life better than you can and could try to, you know, make and force these overarching rules to fit 300 million plus people. Well, that's a recipe for disaster. And, you know, I was, I was breaking down the analogy before. Uh, some people are like, what do we need, a revolution or whatever? Well, I like to say a revolution is a circle. You know, a revolution goes around. Hmm. And that means when the circle is almost about to touch itself and it pops or it starts over, then you, you have the most free government, you know, like the, the last or the first American revolution. Uh, that was probably the freest this country has ever been. And every single second that has passed since then, it, this baby government has gotten bigger to a mean, nasty government because all governments can do is grow and expand because by nature that's what they do. They don't have any, like, if they were a private business that measured themselves on, like, profit, sales, and market reactions, then they wouldn't do that because they would react to the market demands. I don't think anyone would demand that people's houses get raided for plants. But uh, in this case, they only re- their only market signals are, like, more laws, more bars, more income, more et cetera, and then boom, 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 things get bigger, and it's just its nature. So I don't advocate for a revolution. I like to see an evolution that the next time this circle comes around, which I don't think is too far off, that we just veer off, and we don't go to centralized government anymore, that we evolve, and we understand that individuals are the only government you need, an individual government, a self-government, one based on property ownership and self-ownership. You know, it's my body, it's my choice. If I want to smoke pot or drink gasoline, I hope loved ones would advise me which ones would be more wise, but at the end of the day, it is ultimately my choice. And if I'm not harming or initiating force against anybody, then, you know, there should be no issues. And if there is no victim, there is no crime. Now, you kind of summed up your philosophy seemingly right there, but I've heard you describe yourself as a voluntarist before. So can you just kind of explain what exactly is a voluntarist and how might that differ from maybe some other branches or viewpoints on libertarianism? You know, you have people that call themselves minarchists, people that call themselves anarchists, anarcho-capitalists. So how does a voluntarist, if any, if in any way, differ from that? Well, I, these days it seems that you have to have a 15-minute conversation to define a few words before you can successfully label yourself. But in my opinion, to define what I believe a voluntarist is and what I would prefer most times to describe myself as uh, is a person who does not believe in man-made regulation and central control, essentially, but voluntary interactions and that, you know, that everyone should be able to live their life as long as they don't initiate force against another uh, individual. And so that's to me what voluntarism is. Uh, Some people would say that uh, an anarchist might have a, slightly different views or there could be times where they're not so strong on the voluntary interactions aspect. But I believe, in my opinion, anarchists and voluntarists are pretty synonymous. They're interchangeable almost. 
uh, as well as anarcho-capitalists, but a minarchist, you know, some folks would say that they, you know, they want no government or like a local government, like town, or they want, they want a county, or maybe they even want states. And so they could vary, but in general, they want, you know, some sort of small government. Um, you know, then there's, you can get into like the, the commie anarchists or the left libertarians, I don't know, like, uh, everyone has their little bit of things, and I know like Jeffrey Tucker and Chris Campbell have been going at it on a brutalist or humanist or humanitarian or whatever they want to say. And you know, I guess sure, it's, it's, like it's I part said, of that fun. Yeah, go ahead. I was saying, at the end of the day, it's really confusing to the point where, like I said, you have to have a 15-minute conversation to define certain words or what act- things. You know, overall, I feel words are just that words, and you know, the less words I use, it's because I want to have you know, communicate something in the quickest manner. And so, like, if I say I'm an anarchist around a bunch of tables, people who I know, like, generally understand what that means, that's great. But if I'm on, like, Fox News, volunteerist might be better because it's a co-opted word, and I would understand that the audience at Fox News would hear that and think chaos. And so it's either you have to know who you're talking to or define who you're talking with. And sadly, words can be co-opted and interchanged, but maybe it just means people have to take a little longer than a 140-word tweet figure it out but right i mean sure I mean, it used to be the word liberal is what meant what we generally believe liberal used to mean freedom and basically self-ownership right. and, that and sort classic of thing. Re- liberal and right. i'm a classic liberal i'm right. a conservative democrat what right and that's why i try to focus and try to sort through these labels and get to the core principles and philosophy behind things you mentioned you're for voluntary interaction, so just to toss out this scenario for you, if you don't mind. So what if, say, I don't know, 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000, who knows? I don't know if the number matters. People voluntarily want to form something, an organization, hand over monopoly control over, say, certain services, police, courts, whatever, call it a government. Does that fall in line with voluntarism, or what's your view on that, as long as it comes from a voluntary place? Now, you and I might say, well, that might not be the best way to organize society, but if it's done voluntarily, then would you have an objection to it? Well, no. It's like, for example, like if, if you're saying, just to understand it correctly, it's like everybody who believes in statism wanted to roll up into New York City and occupy that territory and be like, hey, we have a, not occupy it, that's way too military. Right, you know, voluntarily buy property own. there. <laughs> Yes, they they don't use force, but they acquire the property, you know what I mean, by voluntary exchange without fraud or coercion, and they now own this property, and they say, you can't come here unless you agree to our presidents and our and our Congress's rules, and it's exactly what we have today. That's great, man. Let them have it all day long. I just know I'd never go to New York City again, right. you know, at least then I know. You know, if they say, hey, man, you know, but now if they want to come out to my volunteers community or something and say, yo, yo, we want some of your tax or we want to do whatever, you know, like, and I'm not down with that, then I might have some sort of a complaint, you know, then they're initiating force. So. Right. Yeah, I think it's an important distinction. I mean, regardless of what our views or your and I views might particularly be on how we might want to interact with people or form certain organizations or what have you, as long as someone else isn't aggressing on me, they can have whatever government or non-government they want. If a group of people want to get together, start a commune, and run a sort of communist system, well, it's not something I want to participate in, and I'm not going to live there, but if you want to go do it, do it. That's kind of the way I do it. I spent a lot of my time early trying to convince people to believe what I believe, but at the end of the day now, it's like, I'm like, are you willing to send men with guns in my house to do what you believe? You know what I mean? And most most nobody will say yes to that. And so, 
You know, like, they're like, I really believe kids should all have 10 books for school. I'm like, okay, I don't. They're like, I do, I really do. Nothing you can say will change that. Well, will you send men with guns to my house in order to get every single child to have 10 books? And they're like, no. Well, like, well that's what you're doing if you vote or if it's taxes or you want a referendum or, a, you know, an ordinance that states such. You know, but I'm right, like, it's, if, it's, if you're not willing to do it, you can't vote for that. It's the hidden gun, you know. They um, they'll say no, I wouldn't want to do that, and then turn around and support the system that forces you to to do just that. Maybe they never see the guns because I'll end up paying my taxes because I don't want the guns to show up. So I am never gonna maybe physically see those guns, but that doesn't mean they're not there, and that doesn't mean they're not pointing at us, forcing them to participate in whatever you know system people are supporting. Now, before I let you go, Dame, I really want to give you a few minutes to talk about the Free State Project, which I know you're very involved with. So you know, just give us the kind of basic for people that might not be familiar with it. What is the Free State Project? What are its specific goals? Another loaded question. Um, essentially, the Free State Project is an idea, uh, just as Coplock. I, I wish it would maybe have stayed that way the whole time, but <laughs> that's another story. Um, but the, the Free State Project is essentially an idea to get 20,000 people to move to New Hampshire slash New England area. And, you know, the motto is uh, achieve liberty in our lifetime. And so it's a great idea, and I also... You know, like I used to advocate that everyone become an anarchist or a volunteerist like myself. Um, I no longer really like push up living in New Hampshire as hard as I used to, even though I do currently live in New Hampshire. What I do tell folks is to live around like-minded people, you know, where you are. If you can't move to New Hampshire, which has like, I travel the country and this is like, got a, it's still the best spot, I believe, in New Hampshire, or excuse me, in the country to gain liberty in our lifetime. But... There are some great spots in, like, Austin, Texas, uh, you know, out in Phoenix, Arizona, even in Montana and uh, Wyoming. But if you can't move to one of those locations, then, you know, start having like-minded people move around you or inspire or, you know, encourage the people around you to get awake and or care about some of the things that you, you know, care about or realize because, you know, that's the real goal, the real you know, I guess front line is the educational aspect and waking people up at this moment. You know, you can always stop a bully, you know, with like a fist fight or at least deter him from coming back tomorrow. But at this point, there's like 40,000 bullies and like five people, you know, willing to do that. And so it's a numbers game because when the bullies equal the people they have to bully, the bullying stops because the bullies realize consequences are real. Um, and that's not really the case right now. Like, there's not a single officer that does a raid on the house, no matter what they'd like you to think, that believes they're actually in much danger because they don't really get much resistance in this, the current things. You know, a police officer or most government agents aren't even on the top 10 most dangerous jobs to have. And so, anyhow, moving, being around like-minded people, that's the ticket. So educating yourself, coming to a logical conclusion that the initiation of force is wrong, property rights should be respected, and there is no victim, there is no crime, and uh, everything else will work itself out. Yeah, Dame, I mean, I think that's a great point and a great message. I mean, if you're not already around like-minded people, you can physically move to get around some. But, you know, believe it or not, I live out here in California. I've been here for 10 years or so in Los Angeles. Even out here, there are some freedom-minded people. You just got to find them. 
And if you can't find them, like you mentioned, inspire them. You know, be what you want other people to be. That's why I do my podcast. That's why I have the website. That's why I have you on the show to inspire people. And hopefully other people will start talking about the kind of things we're talking about, come to a better place in their own life. If it's not physically moving somewhere, just emotionally moving to a different place and bringing other people together. That's what's so amazing about the internet, our ability to communicate, find like-minded people, create like-minded people. It's really an amazing thing. And it enables me to do what I'm doing, enables you to do what you're doing. So it's really fantastic. And Amo, thanks again for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you taking your time out. Um, before you go, just why don't you just plug, you know, how can people get in touch with you, connect with Coplock, connect with the Free State Project. Feel free to plug away anything you want. You can, the floor is yours. Sure. I mean, uh, I'm a demo at coplock.org. If there's something you guys need help with or anything out there, I'll try to connect you with the right folks. But otherwise, the submit tab at Coplock and its whole upper bar is all full of useful resources and other things. And freestateproject.org or freetalklive.com are uh, good outlets or, uh, you know, things you should put in your bookmarks or RSS feeds to keep the gear to the ground on what's going on here in the Shire. Great, Adamo. Thanks again for coming on. Take care, man. Yep, take care. We'll be back after a little break. Do you want your kids to meet the champion of the Constitution? What if there was an illustrated book that introduced libertarianism to you through the story of Ron Paul's amazing life? What if this biography breaks down complex concepts like Austrian economic theory, the dangers of the Federal Reserve, blowback, and non-interventionist foreign policy? What if I told you this book is real and available? What if I told you that school libraries accept donations? What if you donate a copy to your local school library and give hundreds of youth the opportunity to meet Ron Paul? What if you don't? Who will? The book is Meet Ron Paul, and you can get your copy today at lionsofliberty.com slash meetronpaul. As Ron Paul has said, there can be no revolution without a revolution in education. Meet Ron Paul and keep the liberty movement moving. Agree to disagree. Yeah, it's a radio show we have on thenewamericanmedia.com every single Friday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific. Join the show. What do we talk about? Politics, religion, and spirituality. Basically anything you're not supposed to talk about in a bar. (laughs) You're not supposed to have these conversations inside of a bar, but we have them every single Friday at 4.30 p.m. Pacific on thenewamericanmedia.com. Join the show, offer your opinion, and let's agree to disagree, but let's have a good conversation. Hey guys, Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. We bring you the Morning Roar! That's right, every Monday to Friday we'll have a brand new edition of the Morning Roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media, or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty, and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. Every Monday, we have our longest-running feature, Mondays with Murray, named after the great libertarian Murray Rothbard, where we'll examine an article or an excerpt from his works and help convey his view, along with our little spin as well. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LionsOfLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. 
All right, and we are back from break. Thanks for sticking through it. Thanks for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Adamo Freeman. I certainly did, and I'm not going to rant too much more here at the end of the show here like I often do since I already bombarded you with my sad, sad tale of my stolen iPad mini. So I already got a lot of ranting out of my system today, luckily. But, you know, I think Adamo Freeman and Coplock are doing some important work because, as he said, the police and other state powers, other state agents, they have a whole support system already. They've got the DA's office. They've got prosecutors. Even the judge. The judge works for the state, too. So when there are victims of police abuse or even just bad laws, like the war on drugs, like marijuana laws, banning people, threatening them with violence, physical violence that often becomes very, very real, as we see with no-knock raids where the police are bust in, doesn't even need to be the right house, can be the wrong house, and people get shot. Real, real violence stems from these laws. Victims of those laws and of police abuse in general do not have nearly the kind of support system that police officers do. It's very important to shine a light, not just on police abuse, but on bad laws. You know, I'm not sure I completely agree with Adamo on, you know, blaming the police themselves, although I do blame police as well, because, you know, they're the, are the ones committing these acts. You know, if, if a police officer does abuse somebody, he is clearly, clearly at fault. Other police officers are enforcing laws they might not see as bad. But ultimately, those enforcers are there because of the bad ideas of the people in general. Because of the bad ideas that the politicians use to create such terrible things such as the drug war. And if the people don't have those ideas, those politicians aren't going to get into power and they're not going to create these laws that the police enforce. So, I mean, there's blame to go all around. But at the end of the day, we have to really look at the issues and the ideas behind why this even comes about in the first place. You know, I always say it's important to hold the banner of liberty high. So when criticizing police as well, we should do so by criticizing specific acts, specific officers. It's important to stay away from a lot of this rhetoric like, police are pigs, police are fascists. And we might feel that way many times in anger when you see police shoot some, an innocent person or, or beat up an old man. We see this stuff all the time and, you know, yeah, you're going to want to think nasty things about them at the time. That's a, an understandable emotional reaction. But we can't just make police the enemy because if we decide police are the enemy, well, guess what? They're going to be the enemy. What we really need to focus on is ideas. And the way to do that is to talk about things, to talk about natural rights, talk about individual rights, talk about why the drug war is such an affront to these things. Talk about why police who wear a badge should not have different rights than a regular, ordinary Joe without a badge. We should all have the same rights. That's what a right is. But the only way we're going to change things is to communicate with other people, to inspire other people, to get people thinking in a different way about their fellow man, about how they should act towards their fellow man, about the use of violence on their fellow man. We gotta connect with people. And like I said earlier, we got this amazing thing called the internet that lets us connect with people so easily. So please, find like-minded people. Find people that you might not agree with completely that are open to your views and have conversations with them. Find people, create people. If you know people in your life that you love and respect, but they don't share your views on things, well, engage with them. If they love and respect you, they'll listen and they'll engage back. That's how we make progress, guys. And we want you to engage with us as well over on our social media. 
Facebook.com slash Lions of Liberty. Find us on Twitter at Lions of Liberty. Find us on Google+. Email me, Mark, M-A-R-C, at lionsofliberty.com if you have a question, an idea, a suggestion for a guest, a rant, a criticism, whatever. We want to have a conversation in as many ways as possible. And next week, I'm going to have another conversation, as I do every week. Now, if you've been around the liberty movement, you've probably heard the term anarcho-capitalism. It's something many prominent libertarians advocate for. It's a system without government, a system of free markets, of private property. I'm going to have on an advocate of that system, a guy that many of you out there may be familiar with, a guy named Robert Murphy. He's a guy who literally wrote the book on anarcho-capitalism. Maybe not the book. There are many books on the subject, but he wrote a book on anarcho-capitalism titled Chaos Theory, and we'll be discussing that book and going over some objections to anarcho-capitalism. So be sure to come on back once again next week to another edition of the Lions of Liberty podcast. And until then, folks, please, oh, please live long and live free. (laughs) 